0: This is Dave Moss of The Unfunded List, and I'm pleased to bring you the Open Door Philanthropy podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I often joke that I am a fourth-generation philanthropist, and technically it's true. My great-grandfather and his brother were very generous donors, and on various college campuses, museums, libraries, and Jewish community centers all over New England, there are buildings, funds, plaques, bricks, and other items with names of people related to me on them, signifying their generous contributions. My friend Ben Swig is a fifth-generation philanthropist. He is the great-great-grandson of Simon Swig. And if you're interested in reading a fascinating Wikipedia article, then you should look up Simon Swig. He unfortunately died in the 1930s, and so was not able to attend this interview. Uh, Ben and I met at a weekend-long convening of young Jewish philanthropists in 2007, and we've been friends ever since. We both participated in several cycles of the Slingshot Fund, And together, we served on the board of directors for Slingshot. Throughout my career, I've always found Ben to be thoughtful, smart, and willing to dive deep into his Rolodex to help advance social change. During this interview, Ben and I reminisce about some of our adventures and misadventures in the world of philanthropy. But before we do that, here's a little more info about Ben and what he's up to now. I found this when I Googled his name. Benjamin Swig is the co-founder and COO of Ready Responders. Ready Responders recruits, trains, and equips part-time EMTs to improve the emergency response times and the efficiency of municipal EMS systems. He has been an EMT and paramedic for 15 years and previously worked for New Orleans EMS in that capacity. In addition to pre-hospital care, Benjamin has served as public health contractor for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services in the Office of the Surgeon General. There, he supported the training and emergency response efforts of the U.S. Public Health Service Commissioned Corps and was was presented with the Surgeon General's Outstanding Achievement Award for his service to the department. Ben is a graduate of Trinity College and holds an MPH and MBA degree from Tulane University. Sounds like Ben's up to some very interesting stuff in a very challenging field. And he's invited me down to New Orleans to talk to him about it. I'm excited to catch up with him, learn more about his work, and to compare our experiences being raised in very philanthropic families. I hope you enjoy.
1: So I grew up in the uh, outer Richmond, inner Richmond, Richmond district, Seacliff. I grew up in Seacliff. Se- Sea cliff. Yeah, sea cliff. Uh, Because you could walk a block and you were at the sea cliff. Uh, And it overlooked the Pacific Ocean.
0: Is that what it sounds like? A cliff? There was a cliff. On the sea? On the
1: sea, yeah. Nice, I mean, yeah, it was a cliff on the sea. Um, There was a nice uh, trail out to Land's End, towards the point to the old Sutro baths. Um, uh, I guess it was the ocean-fed baths that were along the coast, the ocean beach of San Francisco. Hmm. And... um, Used to do that walk with my dog and with my mom. And what
0: was your dog say?
1: Uh, let's see. My dogs growing up, I had uh, Maggie and Morgan, and then uh, they were brother and sister. Uh, my mom used to basically put me outside with the dog, mm-hmm. and if I fell, the dog would start barking. And <laughs> basically, I had my my dog was my babysitter growing up. I have uh, I have a mom, I have a dad, uh, I have a stepmother, I have a brother, mm-hmm. uh, and. They are all in San Francisco. They're all still there? They love San Francisco. San Francisco's a great city. Mm-hmm. and I left my heart there once. Did you leave your heart there? There's a piece <laughs> of my heart left in San Francisco. It
0: was right after I left my wallet. In LA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember uh, the first time you ever gave something to somebody? Yeah.
1: You do? Yeah. Do you um, I think the my I was raised uh, in a family that encourage giving, that encourage, uh, the, I guess the term, the Jewish term of mitzvah. Uh, and it's not just doing a good deed. It's do, it's doing something because, um, it's a good deed, but you just inherently want to do it because it just, you just want to do it. Uh, I don't know how, how, how else to explain it. So, um, just living your life, uh, doing nice things for people when you have the chance to do nice things for people. Um, be it like, I remember I, I once walked this uh, woman home from a local grocery store. Uh, and I helped her carry her groceries home. And she was just so thankful and so nice. And she ended up actually sending me some really gorgeous um, photos of um, grizzly bears catching salmon uh, in Alaska that her friend, a photographer, a photographer, um, sent to her, and she gave them to me. Totally, like she just decided to give them to me because I walked her home.
0: How old were uh, you?
1: I was, I was a, i was young. I was probably uh, seventh grade, sixth grade. You I was,
0: saw a lady with groceries encumbered with groceries. <clears throat>
1: yeah, I, I, again, I, I hung, I hung out in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood store. I'd go like grab like a Jolt Cola, like because that's what kids <laughs> my age did, and I'd like Jolt Cola. So I, and. Um, and I saw that she needed help carrying her groceries, and I helped her carry her groceries. And
0: presumably, you had a lot of energy.
1: I that. had a lot of energy. Oh, Twice I was, I was, I was able to carry most of her groceries. <laughs> I had super jolt caffeine muscles from uh, from that. That's, that's nice. Yeah. What
0: was the last time you carried some, a stranger's groceries?
1: Oh man, is this is a habit. A lifelong. This habit? is not a lifelong habit. No. Um, I think that the carrying of strangers' groceries transitioned to like. Uh, my work with like EMS Mm -hmm. emergency medical services and taking care of complete strangers uh, when they, when the need arises, it could be like while I'm at work or it could be just um, on a plane uh, randomly at rock and bowl um, around town. Just, Mm -hmm. I just have the inherent um, nature to go and help somebody.
0: I have noticed the, uh, but, uh, but today, if you were to see someone encumbered with groceries, you think you would? Again, like, in the right circumstances, you probably would help, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, every now and then, from the from the sometimes on my walk home, I go past the Trader Joe's, and if I see somebody who like got in over their head at Trader Joe's, <laughs> which it's going happen pretty easily, uh, I occasionally um, uh, will carry their bags. And honestly, I think it does more for me than it does for them. They would have gotten home either way, but my day is made all the all the brighter from having helped somebody. Yeah. Um, so you uh, so you mentioned. Um, that you that you got some encouragement from your family, uh, mitzvahs. The other the other word is uh, a Sedaka. Sedekah.
1: Sadaka. Yeah.
0: That means giving, right? Something like that. Um, and uh, and it, certainly this is probably something like uh, I mean the vast majority of American families have give some, some sort of like you should be a good person you should mm-hmm. give back. Uh, at what point did you realize that that you came from a particularly philanthropic family?
1: I think it was probably around the time of again tying it back to uh, my Jewish upbringing the my bar mitzvah um, I um, was given the opportunity to travel to Israel with my grandfather and my grandmother, and we traveled around to different locations and my grandmother and my grandfather chose uh, locations um, that not were only of historical significance to Israel but also uh, current events there was some there was one um, there, Second in the, in the, uh, <clears throat> it was nineteen. Oh man, I guess I'm dating myself now. Nineteen ninety. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, <laughs> yeah, a while ago. But uh, one of the places that we went to was a orphanage, um, and it mainly was serving Eastern European um, orphans. Uh, and we left that uh, location, and my grandmother said, "Man, we, like that was just a wonderful like experience," and we were all like very touched by it. And she asked me if um, I wanted to make a uh, a donation to the orphanage, and I had just finished uh, my bar mitzvah. I just had my bar mitzvah, and I had this like flush of money and um, I'm a thirteen year old with a lot of mo- with like I don't know a few thousand dollars from bar mitzvah and she said, not bad. "No, not bad at all." and she said um, and and I said that that sounds like a great idea." and so we together um decided how much of my bar mitzvah money I would donate and um I I committed uh I think about uh 10% of my bar mitzvah money uh to the orphanage and then my grandmother and my grandfather said that they matched my donation um so at 13 we were making a a significant from for a 13 year old contribution uh, to a uh, an orphanage in Israel that took care of mm. um, Eastern European orphans.
0: Mm. And um, it's very interesting. I sometimes say I'm the original millennial philanthropist, but I might be wrong. Mm. You might you might uh, you might predate me. No, come on. I mean, I made my first big gift. It would have been right. It would have been right around the same time
1: we can be equals. Yeah, we're, Please. <laughs> we're on the, we're, but are we, we mi- are we millennials or are we seen now? what is the new Xennials? Is you here, i are a millennial. I don't know what I am anymore. There's so many labels and they change every 2 weeks. I don't know what I am anymore. I am think anymore.
0: We're just the older millennials. I am who I am. So we're different than the younger millennials. Yeah. We're
1: older. We're older millennials. So
0: we're not generation X, and I don't think it's I don't think it's we need to make a like just keep making new. Eventually we'll just have every year will be its own generation. Yeah. Like we are we were closer to people who were ten years younger than us than ten years older.
1: Than us. I don't know if I need to be labeled.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's also a good one. Yeah. You remember? I remember. Uh, it used to we used to be next gen. Remember that? Oh, that yeah, term was yeah, All the time. Yeah. I don't hear it anymore.
1: I'm still a young professional. We're still young professionals, depends, right? Depends on who you're, you're asking. Yeah, older young professionals.
0: The uh, Jewish. In the Jewish world, we are yeah. We're just still a couple of babies, so we've got a long. No, time to uh, go. Uh, there's
1: plenty of like non-like religious events that I go to in the community where I'm considered a young professional. Mm-hmm. I oh mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, there's if you there young professionals for uh, foreign policy or young nonprofit professionals, or young business people. professionals. They're all
1: our age. Yeah, they're all our age. Uh,
0: and it, it's an important to <coughs> note, like we are full-grown men. We're older than Jesus was when he died. Uh, I think we are not too much younger than. than the king was when he died we are about mm. ten years older than he was when he did the Montgomery bus boycott but us. we're always
1: children to our parents, yeah yeah we're that's, never we're never yeah true. I'm going to be 50 years old. my, my dad's going to be like in his 90s, and he's like, kid, yeah. like you're still a kid
0: so uh, I remember on my uh, not long after we met, uh, I went to San Francisco for the first time, some conference or something uh, and I was walking around and I saw uh, I don't think it was your name. But the name Benjamin Swig on a very large sign.
1: Yeah, there's a joke about that one.
0: Is there a joke about it? Yeah. Now? Do you know well, like, there's a joke. No, I know this because you know I, I know the one you're talking about. It's very prominent. I don't remember what neighborhood
1: it's. It's it's on Market Street. Yeah, it's, it's a it's pavilion. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it actually is outside of the um, offices of the tech developer that I work with on my startup. <laughs> and so, whenever uh, someone that I know goes and visits this tech developer. I usually get a text message of them waving at the pavilion. And I'm like, "Oh, great. I'm so glad that you visited the pavilion.
0: The Benjamin
1: <laughs> H. Swig uh tourist information pavilion." Is that what it Oh, it's yeah, it's that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so is yeah. that
0: your who is that? Who's Benjamin? That was H. my great-grandfather. Oh, great grand- yeah. He, he paid for the tourist information center?
1: I not? don't actually don't know. No, no. Maybe they just No, that, I know you? I know a lot. I mean, I know a lot of his other um philanthropic uh, uh, um, endeavors that he, he ventured into, but um, I guess that was one of them. I don't know how it came about, but that's been there, and I get to see it every time I go visit my uh, my developer in San Francisco.
0: Yeah. the I've um, the, noticed um, or when I was a kid, I grew up on a college campus, and all the buildings at Colby where I grew up are named after somebody. Uh, and I remember one day when I found out that, like, they were named after people who had made who, who had made large gifts. Uh, I remember, like my, my assumption was these are great people, great men who have done great things, and that's why the building got named after them, which does happen sometimes. And in fact, like, even at Colby, some of the buildings are uh, named after folks. A uh, tourist information center sounds like it might actually be just named after a prominent San Francisco.
1: Well, my, my great-grandfather was in the hospitality business, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he enjoyed welcoming people to San Francisco, and maybe that was the the uh, the approach there of providing a, a resource for people to reach out to 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 feel as though they're they're welcome and there's information for them to feel welcome in San Francisco.
0: Do you know? Do you think you know all of the locations where there is a, a Swig name on a plaque? Somewhere? Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not.
1: They they pop up on, like all the time, and I'm surprised. Like whoa. Like,
0: At the my aunt and uncle went uh, when they were the a <coughs> couple. They go to, they go to Israel a lot more often than I do. Uh, and the last time they were there, they went and they toured uh, BGU, Ben Gurion University. Uh, and there, at, at BGU, there is a uh, the Edward Rose uh, endowed chair for geophysics, I think, or something like that. Edward Rose is my great grandfather, uh, and so my and uncle took a picture uh, with the Ed Rose, um, with the uh, with the Ed Rose professor for geophysics or whatever. It's not geophysics; it's something something more complicated than that.
1: Uh, anyway, they sent me the
0: picture, uh, and it says it says Benjamin H. Wigg, like right next to my, right next to my uncle's name. So
1: Was it a spoiler? Did just spoil? I mean, to spoil the <laughs> picture because you're like I'm going for this picture.
0: And my first thought was, oh, it's a very big coincidence. And then my second thought was like, well, no, the Jewish world is very really yeah. small. This sort of thing does happen pretty often. Uh, I do occasionally see a relative of mine somewhere on something uh, that I did not expect to be there. Um, but uh, most of the most of the like uh, older guard. Donors in my family had different last names than me, so I, I imagine it's uh, it is, your name's actually Ben Swig, right? No one really sees these names. No, selfie I'm. I'm
1: named after both of my great grandfathers, hmm. Benjamin Harrison Swig and Abraham. Uh, is it Black or Abraham Gusman? One of the two. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I no, no, you I never met, met him. A, I, d- I, yeah. I did him. Me, I did meet. Oh, I did meet him. Yeah, Abraham. Papa Abe. Yeah. Yeah. But this is your great. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I don't think I ever. No, I met great grandmother. I met her very, briefly when I was very young, but that's it. Um, I met my
1: great grandmother and my great grandfather on that side. Yeah.
0: Do you have? uh, Is it ever uh, your name? Is your name on any plaques anywhere? I don't think about that one.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: (laughs) If it if it is, it it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been you who did it,
1: right? Definitely, I don't. Yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) maybe in honor of or my grandmother named something after me once. Yeah.
0: Some, I don't remember what she thought. that it would help me get into Colby.
1: Oh, <laughs> you didn't go to Colby, though. No, I did not. No, you didn't. I did get accepted. Oh, that's really nice of I don't them. Think it oh, how nice. I don't think the gift had everything. Oh. I don't think that was the the
0: the reason. You went to you went to Trinity. I did. Why did you? It's a long way from San Francisco. Why it is a there?
1: long way from San Francisco. Uh, I chose a school that was a long way from San Francisco. I kind of I didn't want to be labeled. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go somewhere where no one knew who I was. And I wanted to uh, create um, my own identity, and uh, pursue um, some future that I had no idea what I wanted to pursue, and I'd figure it out, Mm -hmm. uh, as many do in undergrad. But of Mm -hmm. course, I didn't figure it out in undergrad. And but,
0: not so much me either. Yeah. Do you think um, so? You don't think you uh, you think would have had a hard time being your own man if you'd stayed in the Bay Area?
1: I think there's a lot of um, uh, outside factors. Growing up in San Francisco, where like as you mentioned, my name can be uh, transcribed just transcribed across multiple venues, and um, where there was—I don't know if there was expectations—but uh, right. for I think um, I didn't necessarily want to have to worry about that, so I just sort of exited and uh, found and explored the East Coast and.
0: I don't, uh, I went, I visited my friend Kevin O'Hare once while he was at Trinity. I'm not sure if you know him. He would have been like a year or two younger than you, probably. The uh, but, um, I'm, uh, and I don't, I don't know that much about it, but I'm guessing by the name that it's a Catholic school, right?
1: When I went there, the president of Trinity was Jewish. Really? And
0: So just formally Catholic?
1: I don't, no, I mean, there was a, there was a Jewish, I was a Jewish studies major at Trinity. Hmm. Yeah. So they have a they built it. a, and they built and completed a brand new Hillel house while I was at Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so
0: a, there were Jewish students there. At-
1: there was a handful of Jewish students at Trinity. Yeah, West Hartford had a nice Jewish community.
0: Yeah, yeah, West Hartford certainly does. Yes. Yeah, uh, Hartford. It's a nice town. <coughs> <right? laughs> I went to Loomis Shafee about uh, for a boarding school, about fifteen mi- about fifty miles north of Hartford. We would get into town every now and then, and I was a kid from Maine. Uh, and uh, probably the first city that I ever got to like hang out in on my own or like with my friends or whatever because we don't have cities in me uh, and I, I don't know that it was, it, I, maybe it's nicer now I haven't been to Hartford in Hartford time. was
1: always like considered when I was there New England's rising star
0: <laughs> so perhaps it's risen since
1: I sure hope so
0: did you leave campus much while you were there?
1: there really wasn't much to go to in the city it, pretty mu- it quieted down at night Mark
0: Twain house? Mark Twain, you can go
1: to the Mark Twain house uh, I think
0: there's a museum, a museum near the Mark House that's pretty
1: good. So when I ventured off campus, I usually ventured. So I worked in the city uh, for the ambulance service. Oh. So in addition to volunteering on campus with there, that's when I first got my start in, as an EMT. Mm-hmm. Um, I volunteered on campus, and then I worked for the private ambulance service in Hartford. So I got to see Hartford uh, during the day, at night, all seasons. Uh, and it was pretty quiet at night. It really wasn't much going on.
0: So, uh, you just mentioned that you are a, you're a trained EMT emergency medical
1: doctor. I mean, trained and nationally certified, certified. nationally registered what certified. I have no idea what that means. I don't means. know what that means either. It means that, uh, okay. I, um, went through an EMT class. I passed the exam. I,
0: thank you, you. Yeah.
1: And, Worked as an EMT for a a number of years, uh, and not until recently, till, uh, 2013, went and pursued, went back and did a paramedic program, like over another thousand hours of, um, both, uh, classroom and, uh, clinical hours and took that exam and passed that test and... Sounds like
0: a lot of hours.
1: It was a lot of hours, but, uh, a lot of hours of learning and experiencing and, uh, getting to, um... Learn some really valuable technical skills that help you save lives when, um, when you need to save a life when it's on someone's worst day when they're experiencing some of their greatest fears and you can come in and say, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'm Ben. I'm a paramedic. I'm here to help."
0: So if I were if I started having a heart attack, would you be able to?
1: I would start the process of care and, and get you in the right hands someone else would of good. someone else. Yeah. What would
0: what, what, what the- could happen to me that you would
1: definitely be able to save my life on your own. Um, i mean so right now I mean really I don't have a lot of the equipment of an advanced level provider. But as a as a, a layperson rescuer with, with training if you were choking hopefully the Heimlich would work. So if I take one of these almonds? Please don't. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> put that put that down. Don't don't you don't. Thank you. No, I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, I think I can believe you. Yeah.
0: So how long have you been a, a certified
1: 2001. 2001. 2001 is when I got certified as an EMT. And just, again, I worked on and off, part-time, um, and sometimes I was just uh, not even working at all or volunteering. Um, it all depended on the what, where I was in the world and and what uh, access there was to, to participate.
0: Uh, so uh, what brought you here to New Orleans?
1: So I was doing some really fun... Public health emergency preparedness contract work in Colorado, writing um, doomsday plans, uh, what to do when there's a pandemic, and um, what to do if there is a sort of a mass fatality uh, situation. How the counties in rural Colorado would take care of those uh, those situations, and um, writing plans and coaching public health departments on how to. Uh, Conduct points of distribution for mass vaccination or mass distribution of pharmaceuticals, and my mentor, boss at the time, suggested I go back and get my master's and come back uh, and get a job working and doing this full time versus as a contractor. So I scoured scoured all the public health schools for who had a specialty in public health and emergency preparedness, and Tulane was the only program in the country, and it was really fitting having uh, Tulane. Yeah, yeah. And so I came down to Tulane in 2007. Um, really dove into public health uh, and um, uh, disaster management. Uh, worked on an internship for the city, writing, rewriting, or uh, writing some new disaster plans post Katrina. Again, dove back into EMS and worked for the city and uh, their ambulance service. Um, working, uh, again, on the population that, that stayed or moved back into New Orleans post Katrina. Uh, while they built the infrastructure around them, and um, that that brought me to New Orleans, and I quickly learned what makes New Orleans uh, the place it is, why people mm-hmm. wanted to come back to New Orleans as bad as they wanted to come back to New Orleans, um, the culture, the people. I left my I left a piece of my heart in San Francisco, but uh, New Orleans is doing a really good job of filling in that. That void, and uh, I'll always be. Um, I'll, I'll. I will always probably have a piece of my heart here in New Orleans as well, no matter where I go.
0: You're gonna run out of pieces. You keep leaving them. Keep leaving them.
1: Places. I'm a giver, sir. Enough, I'm a, a giver. I'm a giver. Because you have
0: I a very big heart to begin with, so I think. Th- we'll, I think you'll be fine. Thanks. <laughs> now, since you've been here in New Orleans, you have gotten your degree and uh, learned uh, what it is that makes the city special. You have started a business called. Ready Responders, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I left, came back, and um, started this business called Ready Responders. What does it do? So Ready Responders recruits, trains, and equips a network of part-time EMTs and paramedics and with the goal of augmenting the existing 911 and emergency medical services infrastructure. We route uh, our, our network via a smartphone app, very similar to like an Uber of emergency medical services. So a quick dispatch, reducing that, that time, and then uh, quickly getting that trained emergency medical technician on the scene to uh, start CPR, shock the heart, open an airway, maybe give uh, an, an opiate blocker like Narcan to help with overdoses, uh, stop the bleeding uh, by applying a tourniquet or a blood-stopping agent, uh, helping splint an arm, uh, helping the existing emergency medical services um, with patient care, And we're tying in some really uh, amazing best practices from around the country to help reduce unnecessary ambulance and emergency department usage by bringing telehealth, by bringing a a physician to the scene. So when a patient meets telehealth, 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 telemedicine.
0: This is a new word. Is this where the doctor's on the phone?
1: Doctor's on the phone, but uh, now you have doctors on your iPhone, on your iPad. They can see you. They can see you, you. They can hear you. So when a patient uh, presents with really stable vital signs, when they present without, sign, without signs of uh, without life-threatening signs and symptoms, uh, we can give them the option to say, hey, instead of going in an ambulance to the hospital, would you like to talk to a doctor who may be able to remedy your situation here in your home? Or we can offer you a free Lyft, Uber, or taxi ride to a urgent care, primary care, or federally qualified health center that is a more appropriate point of care for you to access within the community. And uh, the patient kind of will have that choice. Uh, we we take this example from uh, Houston Fire Department. Uh, they're currently operating this model and operating it very successfully. And the other portion of um, that we adopted is, is the, the Israeli model of, of um, the quick response. The Israelis have a network of over 3,000 trained EMTs, paramedics, physicians, nurses that they've equipped, and they've similarly uh, networked them via smartphone app uh, based on a central dispatch. And they're, they've been able to reduce response times in urban areas down to three to four minutes. And current ambulance response times...
0: That's the average amount of time it takes
1: an EMT to arrive to an emergency? In Israel... Three to four minutes. In, the in, the, of- uh, in, in urban areas, in rural areas, it's, it's a little over five minutes, maybe five to seven minutes. They, they're doing amazing work, uh, and, and we're partnering with them. Um, we want to learn from the best. I mean, the, what I learned in public health is evidence-based practice. Mm-hmm. You want to um, use research and use evidence to make your decisions. Uh, so why not use the, the evidence and best practices from around the country, around the world? And so with national ambulance response times being somewhere more like nine minutes, and in a cardiac arrest where every minute that passes is a a reduction in 10% of your survival, a nine-minute response time really means that you have a 10% chance of survival versus if we're able to get there three, four, five minutes, you're going to have a much better chance of survival by getting that defibrillator attached and shocking that heart um, into a, a beating rhythm. It's very exciting. Yeah, no, that's
0: awesome. Thanks so, for that
1: explanation. Yeah, we improve population health, uh, provide better patient uh, care and experience, and it also um, reduces healthcare costs. Because if I'm able to drive someone in a $26 Lyft ride or Uber ride, taxi ride, to the urgent care, which costs $150, it's a lot less expensive than uh, an, ambulance. an ambulance at $500 and an ER visit at maybe another 500 a
0: 900 $1,000. Mm. You are raising money for it?
1: Yes. Is this correct? Yes.
0: What is that? What is that like? We. Uh, I, suppose, I assume you say a lot of the things you just said. I say, yeah. Did, how did that pitch go?
1: Did I do a good job?
0: If anyone's listening and you're yeah. interested
1: in investing, in football, if you're <laughs> invest if you're interested in an in, in in innovative approach to emergency medical services, it's I, I try to make it um, in the pitches. I try to make it make sense and logical, and it's it's what uh, I try to use the same thinking that I. Um, I initially used to to make it make sense to me. I tell people a story um, and I try to put their shoe they put them in my shoes or put them in someone else's shoes and and give them scenario. I mean there's at, at some point in your life you're going to experience a time when you have to call 911 um, or you have to pay your insurance or pay a medical bill and you realize man I really wish I would have known better about how to access healthcare. Mm-hmm. And if um, and a lot, of, a lot of people don't know how to access healthcare, And if we can be a uh, triage system that just folds in, that provides um, an intervention that can help you understand how to access care, help you like, uh, improve your health and experience, save money, um, that sort of um, has made sense to me and, and, and our investors that we have at this point.
0: One thing you um, uh, so I, you, you sort of went over the various different ways that this is really important, uh, and there's one that uh, it seems to me is true that you didn't mention. Uh, so earlier you were talking about like you get a good, or we were talking about you get a good personal feeling mm-hmm. when you show up mm-hmm. and are able to help somebody. All right, so you have uh, your company puts this network together of trained EMTs who presumably became EMTs for similar reasons to you, yeah, and you're giving them the opportunity to, and they may be very frustrated with how the current healthcare system works or they may just be looking to save more lives than they already have or various different reasons. But it seems to me that this is a very rewarding experience uh, for the for the professionals that are in the network as well.
1: So I've, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to work with many, many communities throughout the country uh, that were socially, economically at risk uh, along Appalachia, mining communities that have been sh- uh, shuttered, um, uh, Native American reservations and a lot of these places, you come across a population that has no vision, has no future, has no like role models. Um, they're really it's a it's a really unfortunate um, yep. environment to live in, and so
0: I am from one of these places.
1: <laughs> so, a lot of my thinking is, uh, and and this ties into to what we're doing is the need to um, recruit. Individuals from these communities. Uh, So going into high schools, providing EMT training to uh, high schoolers so when they graduate they have uh, knowledge, they have a skill that they can use to help people, provide them with uh, an understanding of how to access social services because a lot of people are in the health situation that they're in because they had a barrier. And that barrier could be transportation, it could be a barrier to food, it could be a barrier to... Uh, access of healthcare, care, education, um, exercise, uh, knowledge about what's bad for them, what's good for them. So connecting them with social services. If I can train somebody and give someone the knowledge of how to connect people with social services, if I can give that person uh, knowledge about how to care for someone and uh, help them monitor their vital signs, teach them about um, their, their disease process, that is super empowering. Um, it gives that person in the community who really didn't have a vision of what they were going to do, uh, any, who wasn't really, um, wasn't empowered to do anything. I can now empower that person through 140 hour EMT class that now shows you that you can save a life. You can save a life. You can, you can start CPR. You can shock a heart. You can splint a arm. You can um, give someone an aspirin who's having a heart attack. Uh, you can start the process and, or, uh, you recognize, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or, (laughs) or you can go down the street and recognize that, Hey, like, um, your neighbor is having trouble paying their energy bill. And you know, because you've been through one of our, our training programs, how to help them access a grant or a fund Mm -hmm. that helps them pay their bill. Or, you know, that this person has trouble accessing their, um, their primary care appointment because they don't have a car and no one could drive them. And you know how to arrange for, a public transportation or a private medical assist ride to get them to their medical appointment that they just didn't know how to access. So huge opportunities to empower community members to take care of community members.
0: Is this something that you talk about when you pitch the company?
1: Uh, it depends on like the the audience that we're pitching to. Every audience uh, wants to know um, the different aspects of the business. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so the more, I, I imagine, investor types who are just looking for a return from you, you maybe you don't talk about that part. We,
1: again, we want to make sure that we, we give a background about who we, me and my, my co-founder and I, who we are as individuals, mm-hmm. what our values are, and what uh, the, the goals are for the company. Mm-hmm. It's, we really are starting as a, a social impact company that does have the, the opportunity to, to make money. Um, but we're driven by the social impact that we're going to have in being able to shape and uh, improve communities um, through empowerment.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you um, uh, do you think your uh, the fact that you come from uh, the, the background that you come from? Do you think that's uh, helpful when it comes time to raise money?
1: I think I'm comfortable talking to people. Um, mm-hmm. I. I'm comfortable talking to people because um I myself are try to make thoughtful um investments, be them philanthropic uh or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think if I'm going to approach someone and ask them for money, I have to um uh, also uh have some skin in the game, but also um Put myself in their shoes and, and say, hey, if I'm going to ask this person for money, I better be willing to pay it myself. And and I,
0: um, I think a lot of fundraisers fail to do that. Yeah, if they that, know they need money and they know they have to ask, right? And then they don't they they don't think about well, what it would, what would it be like to receive this ask? Right. Uh, do you like asking for money? When
1: when when I am um, asking for money is, is easy when you have uh, such a strong feeling towards what you're asking for money for. It's really uncomfortable for people to ask money when they aren't in it. Um, so when I choose to stand on a board, when I choose to be involved in a community, um, or a philanthropic endeavor, I really choose the one, I'm, I'm picky. I choose the ones where I really can stand behind because I want to give it my hundred percent. And I know that at some point I'm going to have to make an ask and I should be able to 100% make the ask without a problem and go into it and just like, make the ask and, and sell it 100% and put 100% of myself into it because I embrace what that uh, is supporting and it, it's easy. It's just natural.
0: Uh, so uh, I, uh, in doing some research, learned that there is a, uh, such a thing as the Swig Foundation. Uh, are you involved in that in any way?
1: Every now and then, I have the opportunity uh, from my grandmother and my father. They ask me, "Hey, what can I? Uh, what are you currently interested in? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a, a cause that I can support? Uh, because I know that you're passionate about these causes, mm-hmm. and how can we, um, through the the Swig Foundation, um, help support those causes that you care about and that you're involved with?"
0: Uh, so when uh, when they have uh, approached you to ask that, what sort of things have you directed the funds towards?
1: Most recently, there's been a few social services causes and national causes. Uh, I've been always been a huge fan supporter of National Public Radio, uh, NPR. Mm-hmm. There's been uh, a an amazing um, school in in Rwanda that I learned about. Called Oga Hoza Shalom, and they have a Say again? Oga Ogahosa Shalom Youth Village, and they is
0: Oga Hoza a, a Rwandan word?
1: I don't know. It probably is Shalom, Shalom, peace. Uh, interesting.
0: What's yeah. The, what's What's so special about the school?
1: So the school um, is home to orphans of the Rwanda genocide. And it's structured around like the Israeli kibbutz style, and so you have children of all ages being raised in sort of a family style uh, on a on a kibbutz on a, um, a kibbutz style property. They have agriculture, uh, and they all sort of um, share the duties of of supporting the, the land and the um, and the farm. They focus on agriculture, computers, and hospitality because those are the up-and-coming sort of industries and, and within Rwanda. They um, they go through high school. Uh, a, a number of them are now uh, being accepted to colleges, both foreign and domestic, or domestic and foreign. Uh, and they're it's just a really great opportunity for people for for these youth who. Um, have lost uh, lost their parents to an unfortunate um, mm. uh, scenario of situation within unfortunate, that. Uh, unfortunate, certainly. Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Uh,
0: how did you find out about them? Did they approach you, or did you learn about them somehow?
1: Again, through um, the philanthropic work of my my grandmother. Uh, she's she's been very involved in um, in uh, philanthropy both foreign and domestic, through different groups. And um, one of the, the places, she's always sending me articles and and stories uh, that she comes across that she finds uh, to be meaningful, and, and I'm grateful for those. Uh, she's always connecting us with um, the recipients of uh, scholarships that uh, were made by my great-grandfather and my grandfather to different schools, uh, around the country. So every, maybe once a year, or every couple of years, we'll rec- she'll receive a letter from a student saying, Hey, uh, how grateful they are for the scholarship in Jewish studies or, or another subject. And it's really nice to, uh, again, know, um, who they are about them and that, uh, we're giving someone the opportunity to, to have a really f- wonderful formal education and, and follow their passions.
0: Uh, your, um, you mentioned to your grandmother. Am I, uh her, uh, and I, this is the only other Swig that I have met, um, Rosalind, correct? C- correct. Uh, oh, oh, I assume she's listening. Hello. Uh, hello. Hello. <laughs> and and hello, mom. Um, I, I think my mom listens to my podcast. <laughs> she, sh- she should. <laughs> I throw a lot of like tests in there for. Her and yeah. She doesn't always come back to me about it, but we'll see. Is there like
1: a special word that you say? Hey, I'm like carrot, no, <laughs> Carrot. Uh,
0: on my last podcast, I would sometimes I would say like, "Mom, uh, when you hear this, please call me. I need to talk to you about this." <laughs> and she sometimes she would call, <laughs> and other times no. But she would tell me she heard the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, am I correct? Uh, it sounds like she's your your grandmother is in charge of uh, the, the family philanthropy
1: no i mean she is a leader she 's a force she's a force i mean she she can definitely um, uh, organize the family around a cause and she has and um she's she's really just like i described how i 'm involved in philanthropy and, and i make it it's easy for me to ask those around me to be in to be participative in in philanthropy philanthropy she's she's the same she um really Throws herself 100% into a cause and um, she'll reach out to the family and, and others to, to come in with her and, and have a, a meaningful impact.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember uh, she was quite helpful to me when I was working at Atlas and I got an intrapreneurial fellowship uh, to start a new program at Atlas Core. Atlas Core is a, um, uh, for those of you who aren't regular listeners, uh, Atlas Corps is a uh, reverse Peace Corps style program. We place fellows from other countries in the U.S. Uh, and one of the things I noticed when I uh, when I first worked there, as uh, we had placed, uh, there were certain areas of the world where we placed more fellows than others, and some areas where we had placed no fellows at all. In particular, uh, the entire Levant region, we had not placed. We had not placed a fellow from Syria, Jordan. Um, only a couple from Egypt. But, uh, when I started there, none from Sudan, none from Israel, uh, and none from the occupied territories or Palestine. Right? Uh, and so I sort of uh, – uh, partially because I'm Jewish and partially because uh, I don't think it's a – you don't have to be Jewish to see the uh, – bet the value in, in that kind of in cultural exchange like that. Uh, particularly, I was interested in the idea of – and this is something we have not quite yet accomplished at Atlas Corps. Uh, but I would love this to, to, uh, to, to, to find um, a fellow in the West Bank or and a fellow in Tel Aviv and bring them to the U.S. and have them – Work side by side in a nonprofit for a year. I'm still hopeful that something like that will happen. Uh, one of the reasons we weren't placing a lot of Israelis is because it's not all that difficult uh, to come to the U.S. as an Israeli. Uh, we also don't place like, a lot of British fellows either. Um, but uh, it is a good program, something that, um, that that folks should be interested in. It was just we hadn't done a lot of recruiting there, uh, and uh, your, uh, I reached out to you, and you connected me with uh, your grandmother, and then she connected me with. Just a bunch of people who knew a lot of young nonprofit professionals. And, uh, we now there are you, if you if you want to host a fellow from Israel, it is now possible. Was that right? that? It, it wasn't before. There was
1: that time at that uh, New York gathering, hmm? the, well, the, there was. the New York, the New York time, the New York gathering where we crashed the party. I think
0: it was the JDC.
1: Yeah, gathering. we cra- we right? we crashed the party. That was a, that was a board that was like a board meeting or something like that. They yeah, do have that
0: coming up. Okay, uh, sorry, no, I jumped, ahead. We, jumped ahead, jumped ahead. <laughs> The, uh, as you know, the name of the podcast is Invitation Only. And this was very clearly from, from the event. We were, uh, we, I think we were wearing suits because we were coming from a board meeting. Right. Most of, most of the gentlemen were in tuxedos and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I do remember I got a scotch, and they had run out of scotch glasses. So I drank my scotch out of a wine glass. Uh, I was just sort of walking around, underdressed. Uh, I had my
1: club soda and lime.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but that was, it was impressive to me. Uh, we heard. we
1: crashed that board meeting well, you, like you a had, happy hour you thing. We had
0: a lot of confidence that we were going to be able to get into that and walk right
1: in. Well, I made a phone call. Yeah. I called I called uh Roslyn. I uh, said, "Roslyn, okay, can, can you can you can you get can you get me in?" She said, "Yes, I can get you in." And awesome. She Thank you she put she put me she put us on the list and we got in. I mean, she had some pull. I yeah. mean, right yeah. Said, um, a board member.
0: And uh, so in particular, I remember at that time I was working at the Seed Foundation. Uh, and there was a guy, uh, one of my jobs was to find new prospects for donations and stuff. Uh, and there was a guy, uh, in the, we were trying to build a school in Baltimore. Big we did. We, there's the seed school of Baltimore there now, but at the time, we were raising the money for it. And there was a, a gentleman in Baltimore, whose name I don't recall, uh, but who was in, incredibly connected there. Uh, and we uh, were not having a lot of success getting in touch with him. Uh, and he was there at the, <laughs> he was there at the event. I went right up to him. I got to have a conversation with him, and we started, and we ended up uh, raising millions of dollars from some of the foundations that he's on the boards of. Uh, and I think about that often, right? Because there are, I think, the vast majority of fundraisers in the country can't, with one phone call to their grandma, get themselves into uh, an event like that. And I'm not saying that I feel guilty about it, but I, I'm actually feel pretty proud that I used no, my ability, yeah, my ability to do that to go. You know, there's a school in Baltimore. Right,
1: but and I love the ability that I was able to help you accomplish that, and and we had talked about what you were trying to accomplish, and I believed in what you were doing, and so it's 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 easy to to make that uh, make that happen. It's 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 fun. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. like it brings. Sort of thing. It's fun. It's yeah. fun. It's like I get to like watch like the magic happen.
0: One thing that I remember my grandmother saying uh, is that there's always more money in the rolodex uh, than in the bank account. Uh, which is true for everybody, from the, the very destitute to the to, to Bill Gates could call Carlos Slim and, and Warren Buffett and access considerably more wealth than he has, uh, and uh, I imagine Zuckerberg probably has friends too, right? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I never met the guy. Hopefully, we're going to probably have to cut that part out because I do want to have him on the podcast. Imitation
1: only. <laughs> Invitation only. Invitation uh, only.
0: He's a goal. He's our goal for. Uh, for next season. Once he finds out that Ben Swig was on this thing, he's going to like, well, i got to do it, too. Right? And he's going to put on his hooded sweatshirt and uh, invite me to Facebook headquarters.
1: I at least, just so if my dad's listening, I'm wearing uh, a collared shirt. Great. I look great. great. Belt on. Belt on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> got a and, it belt. Was, and it
0: was hot today, and you wore pants.
1: Yes. Very I dressed, adjustable. again, you dress. Again, it's out of respect for your company. You dress for your for your company. Mm-hmm. Um, to show respect, and mm-hmm. yes.
0: So the um, – uh, and I think uh, I'm always impressed by philanthropists who really sort of get it that they, that they can do a lot with their – they can do usually more with their Rolodex than they can uh, just by writing checks. I myself, uh, the impact of the checks I've written, I, I, I'm not even really sure about it. Uh, but the, some of the connections I've made for people, I am, I'm quite certain of it. And that is most of what we do at the unfunded list. Uh, at least, uh, so some of the evaluators they focus on the content of the proposals we review and things of that sort. Uh, for me, uh, I just think about who should read it and who I should connect these people with, uh, and it is it's the most fun for me. And I'll say, I get sometimes you get thank you letters uh, for a gift that you've made, and sometimes I get thank you letters uh, for a connection I've made, uh, and the or a suge- sometimes it's just a suggestion. I don't even necessarily introduce them to that person, uh, but uh, those thank you letters are much more glowing. Uh, they're like much more appreciative. The, like thank you very much for your kind donation of,
1: of the handwritten thank you letter goes so far mm-hmm. I mean when you get that hand like that the handwritten thank you letter like I want to do more for you because yeah. I, obviously i'm I was impactful for you and you appreciated it and you were appreci- I mean and you wrote a, a thank you letter so yeah. I try to do the same um and and write thank you letters when when yeah. I have the opportunity to the uh, uh,
0: so there will be a There is a thank you letter forthcoming in your immediate future. Yes. Uh, I do know the address here, which I won't. I'm not going to say it out loud on the podcast.
1: Uh, (laughs) New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: New Orleans, Louisiana. Ben Swig, New Orleans, Louisiana. Louisiana. That's That's all all you got to do.
1: Yeah, that's enough.
0: uh, So um, there was another event you and I were at. I'm pretty sure it was a happy hour for um, the one, I think it was then called the 1% Foundation, but it is now Giving Back Fund.
1: Giving Back Fund. Yeah. Giving Circles?
0: Giving Circles Fund. Is it? Giving Back Fund is a whole other organization. I
1: think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giving, I, giving Back
0: Fund is a fiscal sponsor for athletes.
1: Yes. For, for all sure. those board members, I used to be on the board of 1% Foundation. <laughs> you know what you do Giving know, Circles Fund.
0: You do know the name of it. Yes. Uh, and it is still around. I believe it, they've merged with another organization. Uh, and a friend of ours ran it for, uh, for a long time. Hello, Lana. I assume Lana will listen. Hi, to Lana. Us, at least to this episode. Um, if, not, if not all of them. The, um, and maybe someday I'll have actually. She'd be a great, great, great guest. Really um, so, but anyway, we were at that event, and I hadn't seen you in a little while. I don't know if you remember this specifically. We were standing. It was um, the restaurant has changed names a couple times. I don't remember what it was called now. It was on K Street somewhere. Uh, and this lady who was like not properly dressed for the event. I remember she was wearing a backpack with a lot of stuff on it. And you and I were in the middle of a conversation, and she came right up, put her hand out. And she a little Ben Swig, and then started to introduce herself. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember that? Does that sort of thing that happened to you a lot? No, no.
1: I don't remember this one.
0: Uh, well, it was uh, pretty clear to me from context. Yeah. Views, that she knows who you are. Yeah. And came to the event to meet you. No way. And went about it very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think it's possible. I'm not sure if you even picked up. I think you just thought some lady was trying to talk to you or whatever. I have a little bit better, possibly a little bit better sense for that sort of thing. But uh, in general, I'm try, what I'm trying to get to is like, do ever do people ever try to get to your grandmother through you?
1: Um, I think that that is sometimes the case, Mm -hmm. yes. Yes,
0: if someone is, and I and it's not necessarily the wrong thing, right? People need, (coughs) they may have, they've identified your mother is when I google your name, Mm -hmm. uh, your grandmother comes up before you,
1: she better, (laughs) she Uh, better.
0: Uh, I mean, it's your name. I'm googling. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, there's a, a, a lot. different, very public figure in San Francisco, and and so people have the opportunity to know what kind of thing she supports. They might be working on something like that. They may meet, see that you're somewhere, and, they, and this is their chance to you know get invited uh, uh, to a conversation. Hey, I think like
1: it's that. it's it's two ways at this point because she'll introduce me to people mm-hmm. um, who like uh, believes that I'd be interested in working with. Mm-hmm and there and some people come up to me and want to um learn about what she's doing and and maybe work with her on things she's an active uh 87 year old uh a few years ago she did a harvard program and was actively learning actively in class actively doing things and she still um is actively um engaging in community projects and uh, it's not just about um, treasure. It's it's time and talent that she puts into it. So um, she still has the drive to to work on social initiatives uh, and shows up to meetings and participates. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 not just the the treasure bank that is valuable. Um,
0: so if somebody uh, like I described, you know, thinks that uh, she's a good prospect for them or might be interested mm-hmm. in there. Day, what I would do is I would uh, come up to you and I'd say, "Hey, I think this might be very interesting. We're doing some really cool stuff. I think your grandmother might be interested in it. Would you introduce me?" I mean, I do that sort of thing often. Uh, when that happens, if you determine it makes sense, you you, do, you 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 connect folks to grandma, or she's so active, she doesn't need that space.
1: No, I I connect her. Yeah, we're real. Like, there's no no barriers. Um, uh, the the I want to learn. I mean. There's really no harm in taking a few minutes and learning about what someone has to say. They obviously are passionate about something, mm-hmm. um, and they've gotten this far, and they really think that you c- or your, my grandmother could have an impact, and um, they, I don't think they would choose us randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, they deserve the, the respect to, to hear them out and, and spend a few minutes with them and see if I can't help them, maybe I know someone who does
0: mm-hmm.
1: work in that space mm-hmm. and is super passionate about that. So uh, I, I I have the ability and I have the time now where I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can do that, yes, I will talk to them. Um, they des- uh, they deserve that.
0: Interesting to yeah, I think so. They uh, they've taken the
1: they could be doing lots of other things. They right? could be doing lots they of other have more things. Hundred the totally percent, and they're, that. They're, social, they're they're choosing a social. They're are choosing a social path.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, kind of surprised me about the unfunded list uh, because we're reviewing unfunded proposals. I assumed that some of them would be a waste of time, or that I would like just, or I would just be like, "You, this is very bad what you're doing. Stop it." Uh, we reviewed 97 proposals so far, and that has not happened once. I've been very impressed, even by the worst, the 97th proposal, and I know which one that is, but I'm not going to. I won't call them out here. Uh, but these people could be. They, they, they in fact left. They left a, a far more lucrative profession to do what they're doing, um, and like it's, like it's often the case with people who. Uh, switch professions, to, especially to go into social impact from somewhere else. Uh, they don't fully understand how hard it's going to be, right? Like, like for instance, right now, uh, the LinkedIn founder uh, has taught he came up with a very, very bad idea for how he was going to get into, into politics. In particular, He was going to build, I don't know if you read about this, but he wants to build billboards, uh, or he wants to buy billboards around uh, Capitol Hill that the congressman will see, uh, based on, on certain issues that are important to all Americans. A huge problem uh, with that, is that there aren't billboards?
1: No, there aren't, in and, and no, there aren't any billboards <laughs> in Capitol Hill.
0: <laughs> right, and it's and I think this guy, right, and they they are there in San Francisco, and he just didn't he they think they they especially if they've been very successful somewhere else, uh, they'll be like they think of social impact as like JV business, mm-hmm. right? This will be very very easy for me. I founded the world's sixth best social network, mm-hmm. um, but you know he think he he founded a very successful thing that's all over the world now. Yeah. So you can understand why you would think that, you, that, that this might be easier, right? Because you, know, you, make, you don't make as much money, right? I'm sure. Uh, you know, there are lots of successful businessmen think this way. And so they just hadn't properly thought out. like you know They, they don't have any experience in the sector. They don't really – but, I mean, it is – they do deserve a lot of credit for making the decision in the first place, and that's why that came to us. They gave, we, <coughs> gave, we gave them, hopefully, the feedback they needed uh, to improve their programs. And several folks, I've seen them drastically change what they were doing and become much more efficient programs
1: i think a lot of people that i've experienced who've shifted from one um industry into the the nonprofit is that they're super passionate about what they're working on however they don't know how to express that um uh endeavor their their social endeavor effectively mm-hmm. um they get it they're totally like digging oh, yeah. it they love it they're like, you should fund me because I'm amazing and this is why, and it makes sense to them, but it makes sense to them and not to the, the, mm-hmm. um, the people that they're speaking to, uh, and their message is, mm-hmm. is just not clear.
0: very common uh, issue uh, with the more troubled proposals that we review yeah. is that they're directly fundraising for their own salary. And they're being very upfront about that. Yeah. Like, I need to make, I am not, currently not being paid, this grant will go towards paying my salary. Right. Which is totally understandable from their point of view, but I don't know any philanthropist to be excited about that. Yeah. And, and even if you go on to explain, like, what this will enable you to, like, it just doesn't, they, you in, lost their minds, me. in their minds, they're just like, you're just trying to get paid here, uh, it's not, this is not going to work, which is if, it's that's tough. It's tough. It's very, very tough. Yeah. You do, everybody needs to get paid. Everyone to needs to run most of the successful, not province anyway, I do tend to be in, you're right, like San Francisco or New York or D.C. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even, it can be expensive here in New Orleans or in Dallas or wherever. And they're going to have to be in a city where they're going to have to pay rent. and Literally every single thing costs money because we live in a capitalist society. <laughs> I didn't choose it. <laughs> but it's here we are. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, it's actually a really easy thing for me to correct. Cause like when you rewrite this, you need to you just need to be massage your language a right. little bit. Talk about like, the, just talk about the impact. Don't mention that that's you know, directly your salary because, uh, you know, unless, unless they're giving you a grant that's restricted and, and, and they're going to go out of their way to say you can't pay yourself with this and they're probably not that good, the right donor for you. Um, right on. Uh, for the folks uh, listening who haven't yet, uh, Googled Simon Swig, um, what, uh, what um, other than running the bank, uh, which uh, uh, my grandmother knew as Simon Swig's Bank, um, tr- tr- did you say Tremont?
1: Tremont Trust Company. Oh,
0: Tremont Trust Company. Uh, he did a couple no- notable things while he was running. It. He did. What, what, did he, what did he do? The
1: the bank, uh, the Tremont Trust Company, was very similar. Or my my parents can uh, my dad uh, compares it to um, the Savings and Loan um, mm-hmm. bank from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it, savings, and loans. savings and loan savings and loan the uh, the bank hired uh, blacks, jews women um, it was a very diverse uh, employment pool ladies ladies okay.
0: wouldn't they get all hysterical <laughs> um
1: no i think
0: yeah, hy- hysterical comes from you know the, the so that you know what a hysterectomy is yes you know, they're the same root word got and it a hysterical used to mean that like, your, your ovaries were had overtaken you. again historical context <laughs> <laughs> now
1: included inserted sounds like not, it I makes most people yeah.
0: probably know I don't actually think no that this is, the, this, it, that women
1: going this is, is no hysterectomy hysterical <laughs> root word got it not hysterical um, some, so some uh, more notable um, events were the uh, oh the outing of Ponzi yes yes that's the one that you wanted me to talk about well, yeah. Was well, yeah, so there's, there's Ponzi. Um, he said, hey, take your money out of the bank because you're um, scheming in a, mm-hmm. in a bad way, not scheming in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was uh, there was one time a uh, gunman burst into the bank. I didn't tell you about this one. No, I don't think but, it's in yeah, the article. Yeah, it's, in, it's not in the article, but there is um, a Boston newspaper that covered this. And a, uh, a gunman burst into the bank uh, actually ran uh, upstairs, and there was an employee, and then my great-grandfather, uh, there was a shot, uh, missed, great-grandfather tackled the guy, held him down. The other employee went and got the the cops, and um, wow. yeah, that was what some... What was the motivation? I don't, I don't remember. Someone came in not happy, and uh, guns a I think the the last one, um, another notable one, was the passing of legislation mm-hmm. for um, uh, interest for not, um, again, the commercial side, but more of the, the independent um, depositor. So that normal people could uh, receive interest for their deposits in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's... Uh,
0: yes, uh, that, is, that is mentioned in the article. And there was also, I should have written it down so I could read it. Uh, but there's a, the letter that he wrote to Ponzi, telling him to take his deposits uh, out of the bank. There's a letter. Well, there's the, the, the text of the letter is, oh, in, is in the. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's very like uh, <laughs> it's very like 1920s speak, uh, but like very official and, and business Like, would you please grace us by removing your deposits? Uh, if no, and it starts with like if the, if what I've heard of your business plan, I must let you know that I don't approve of it or whatnot. And he, he bought an ad in the paper, uh, that didn't mention Ponzi, but it said, like, all of our loans are backed by actual money, not fake money, like, all this sort of stuff, eventually uh, Ponzi went down. And it is the reason why scheme has a negative connotation in America, and not in any other country. Schemes are just uh, just programs. There's another word for program. Um, that's awesome. Uh, all these little historical
1: have, bites that are, like, tucked have, into the... You have
0: the coolest yeah. great-grandfather, great, great uh, of anybody that I know. <laughs> I think you're the only person I know who goes what their...
1: Oh, my great 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 grandfather yeah. Two greats, right? Double great.
0: You don't know anything about Simon's parents, do you?
1: No. Um,
0: he would have come from the old, old country. Old side.
1: country, yeah. He came over as a very young child. Um, I believe he came down... I, I couldn't fathom, I can't remember.
0: It would have been a very long time ago.
1: Yeah, some of the people I can track um, coming through Ellis Island... Yeah. And, and that's fun. And then I think he might have come down through Canada and into Boston at some point.
0: So uh, the uh, Swigs have been uh, American Jews for uh, a long time. Since a before, long time. Since before the 1900s. Yeah. Uh, did you have folks in the, in the Holocaust?
1: No. Really? No.
0: Well, that's, been, that's very interesting. Uh, my understanding is that most Jews... If, Not that I know Not that I know you, of, right? You almost right? certainly are. Uh, what about in Israel?
1: Uh, no, no family in Israel. Really? Yeah.
0: So they're just all Americans, they're just American Jews.
1: Um, American.
0: <laughs> uh, great. Uh, it's part of what makes this country great. <laughs> well, no, the fact that, 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 uh, someone could come from, uh, from another country, uh, come here as a young person, uh, and, um, you know, out Charles Ponzi, uh, and, uh, you know, end up, uh, inventing interest.
1: I think, I mean, all, Simon, all, all I think, country. I believe he was a state representative, um, and so uh, that was significant. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, there are not a whole lot of um, other countries out there where you can go there and, and, and end up having that kind of influence to do. Uh, I'm particularly interested to hear from you. Obviously, you're uh, pretty deep in the public health space and trying to improve access to public health, um, and who knows what will have happened by the time this airs in September, uh, but as of right now, they have uh, failed to come up with a new bill, uh, and uh, I believe they're still they're sort of talking about just repealing it and going back to what we had before, which uh, was not a particularly great system. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on their on the uh, replace and repeal effort and what they're doing?
1: So I believe this is my like um, what I observed. I observed that uh, the previous administration did a great deal of research and a great deal to put together a framework. Um, as a partnership of all parties. Um, I think they were very good at that, at, at getting all the parties to the table and, and figuring out a plan um, and implementing that plan. The, and, and there was a goal of let's start here, let's test it, let's see how it goes, and then let's um, be a little bit more innovative and change as we uh, realize that we need to make a change in certain areas. Those that second part never really had a chance to to happen. That was the goal. Their goal was, hey, implement round one. Let's learn from where this is good and where this is broken. Uh, and then let's go to step two, which is let's fix those problems. And they never were given a chance to fix those problems. Was my observation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and now the president's not <clears throat> letting it. And, and so, they can't appeal it, just just letting it fail, like deliberately exacerbating.
1: Yeah, and and so there there is okay, good behavior, bad behavior. Good behavior is hey, there are some things that work with this. Let's let's take the the good stuff and let's build on the good stuff and let's do what um, the previous administration couldn't do and and fix it. But there's so much. Bad behavior and just unwillingness to accept that someone else did something good, uh, and mm-hmm. so again, you have to take um, the steps to um, uh, repeal and, and strip a good a program that may have some good components and replace it with something that you I don't I don't believe that has been as thoughtful as the first. Uh, um, um, go around. Would,
0: uh, it can't possibly be more thoughtful. Uh, the president, I mean, one of the problems. I mean, the, one of the most alarming quotes I've heard from him that came the other day. Uh, he makes it very clear that he thinks insurance costs about twelve dollars a year. So he told that to the New York Times. Yeah. I don't see how you could possibly work in public health reform if you think if you're that wrong. I pay over
1: six hundred dollars a month.
0: That's about six hundred.
1: Yeah, and, and there's some people who, I mean, people who are older who have more, like, uh, risks or health. Yeah, they're healthy, they're healthy. yeah, right? Um, and they're paying more. than I mean, there's people who pay $1,000 a month for health care, which is, uh, i use this word sparingly, ludicrous. Um, it is. Ludicrous. It's way too much. It's, yeah. it's certainly more than, than else pays. Uh, okay. And... I mean the congressional members and senators they, they have coverage and they pay I think 70, they get 75% covered or something like that I don't know what it is entirely but they get dental, vision, yeah mental health coverage and but, but they also have the uh, office of the of the attending physician that takes care of them as well they have clinics across the capital and that are staffed by doctors and, and physicians or physicians and and uh, care providers so that if they have a, a need they have their own urgent care they their, at, they, at get their, yeah, they, get, they get they get good, get good care. care i mean and again they're important they are important they they should get, they, good, care. They should get good care yes but so should so everybody else, everybody else. <laughs> and again it's great that we have clinics and schools and that kids can have access to dental care and oral health um, and access to vaccines and um, checkups uh, in, a, in a space that is accessible and has very minimal barriers like schools uh, and so again we can take care of our kids mm-hmm. and provide them with Equitable healthcare, we can provide that to um, again every hardworking person in this country, uh, and and those who are at risk, and, and to our elected officials.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts on that. I I don't know uh, as much about uh, public health, but
1: uh, that's, I think yeah, one very of one of the the most mysterious unknown like groups of public health professionals in the country are the the public health service. Um, they're the seventh uniform service, the the non-militarized uniform service. And I, I had the pleasure of working with, with that group, uh, for a number of years. Uh, and, um, they're, they're spread out across the country and, and they are uniquely, um, organized, uh, to respond and support these social, um, needs. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge opportunity, um, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, um, empower them and deploy them uh, periodically because you, you have um, trained dentists, nurses, uh, epidemiologists, and um, there's no reason why we couldn't utilize them in a capacity-building exercise and send them into communities that are most at risk um, uh, periodically um, throughout the year, again, separating them from their work for maybe a week at a time, um, Putting them to work uh, in the socially economically at risk communities across the country, um, getting building capacity, getting data collection, helping these uh, underserved communities learn more about where their faults and how to get ahead. It's like everyone needs a helping hand sometime. Everyone needs, um, again, I need
0: one like every day. <laughs> so much, I need so much
1: help, but again, there's this there's this re- there's this unique resource, and and it has a long it has lasting effects. Because if you're able to go in there and improve um, social capacity, mental health capacity, um, uh, you're you're gonna make that community a much healthier place, a much more informed dis, uh, uh, location that they can make informed decisions about their population. Um, so a huge valuable resource that exists in this country that's that's under under history. So do, do you
0: think uh, that eventually uh, and uh- I hope true, that responders could play a role nationally in improving
1: healthcare 100%. This is your goal? 100%. Yeah, I, I, again, I'm taking all the best practices that I, I've experienced throughout my life of being a first responder on a college campus and, and in a community and realizing the problem isn't um, that the call volumes are going up, that more people call 911. It's just that people don't know how to... Access healthcare, and that maybe twenty percent of the people who call nine one one actually have medical emergencies, but the bulk just they have a stomach ache, and they knew an ambulance would come and take them to a place that would make them better, or take, or actually diagnose them, or or see them when they called. And so, ready responders can can be that void. Ready responders can um, uh, connect people with the social services that they need access to. Ready responders can uh, recognize. Um, Social, environmental um, barriers uh, to people in their homes and in their lives that uh, and and make an a public health impact that are are uh, that might have a small upfront cost but have a long-term impact.
0: So, in addition to any investors that may be listening, if if uh, if Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or the or the president are listening, they should get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: You have you have something that might actually that might actually pass.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is creating jobs, reducing healthcare costs, and making people healthier and happier.
0: Uh, great. So, Donald, if you're listening, <laughs> you can get in touch with me. I'll put you in touch with Pat. Uh, and, and we, can, so, we can come up with something. really here's a
1: here's a fun, here's a fun one. So, um, whenever I have a chance um, to get away, I go up to the mountains, and I and I and John Muir like. Uh, Muir uh, quotes just it's important to connect with mountains i 'm not going to quote because i don't have your memory, but he always said that it's it's really good to connect with the earth and rejuvenate through through that mm-hmm. like uh environmental john connection Muir? Muir john Muir oh. uh and so uh last summer i I took a um a a few days and I went up to Jackson, wyoming and I like to challenge myself and I climbed the the grand Teton and uh when I came down. It's a towering spire over Jackson, Wyoming, in the Teton Range National Park. Yeah, grand, grand Teton means y- yes, large. Group. Yes, <laughs> yes. My mother's a French professor. So Fantastic, T- Teton. Know.
0: And I believe it's he, they look. The, the guy who found them thought they looked like Tetons. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said
1: that. Fantastic.
0: And you climbed one.
1: I climbed the, the Grand, wow. the big Teton. Yeah, I've seen it. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's yeah cool. but it doesn't
0: look like something that you can. It's like no trees all the way
1: up at the top, right? Yeah, it's above tree line. There's actually a nice little glacier up there. I, I You can hike up there, see the glacier, um, sleep in the hut, like and then, yep, uh, climb to the top. And I found out that uh, Paul Ryan beat me um, to it because he was up there the day before, and he flew into Jackson. He, he got acclimatized and climbed up the Grand Teton. Summited and came back down the day before I went and did my, my climb. Yeah. Um, so, yeah,
0: he's um, I believe it. That guy, for all his faults, so, he is so fit, he does seem to fit again, he he obviously
1: loves the national parks. He appreciates them, and if he's out there enjoying them, then I know that the national parks are going to be safe while he's while he's around. Mm-hmm. I, or, at least I hope so. I really hope so.
0: Sort of like just the Christie, shut down down. the beaches.
1: Yeah, shut them all down. <laughs> except, oh wait, wait, but that I I got a I got a house there, so it's all good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Great. Uh, so uh, one of the questions I'd like to end with, uh, and i got a couple different versions of this. I'll ask both of them. Uh, but uh, So what excites you about the future of philanthropy? Uh, in other words, uh, what do you think, at least in our lifetimes, is something that philanthropy can realistically solve? What's a big problem that, that, that we can put in the rearview mirror?
1: So uh, the community that I'm in right now recognizes that um, people have time. They have talent and they have treasure, mm-hmm. and then it's not all about treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, that by giving your time, you can help your community and help with a cause. By giving your talent, you're able to do the same thing, and treasure. And sometimes that that talent and that time is is as valuable as that treasure. Uh, and so they've embraced that, and that really has improved um, and grown the capacity of young professional philanthropists uh, and people who are civically uh, and motivated, civically involved and motivated to, to be involved in philanthropy and, and in their communities. Um, and that, that's exciting um, to recognize that like, you don't have to have money mm-hmm. to be recognized um, for philanthropy yep. um, by showing up and participating uh, and being a leader in that aspect Really helps an organization and and has meaning. Um, that's exciting because mm-hmm. for a long time, those ty- that type of thought has not existed, uh, and it really is a, is it's unfortunate because a lot of organizations lose out on value, a huge amount of value within their their um, uh, their prospective networks because they don't recognize that. Yes. Um, and and. Um, so that's, that's exciting. Um, as far as like, I agree. This is very exciting. um, the future of philanthropy, what can we stomp out? Um, geez, that's a big one. Um, I couldn't, uh, begin to think there's, there's just, uh, it's just, there's huge opportunities. Uh, I don't think, uh, and, and everyone's like doing their own thing. Everyone's like focused on what they think is great uh, and I'm guilty of, of that siloed, yes. yeah we're siloed um, but I'm every day I go to every day I go to work and every day I have at least one meeting and I'm breaking down the silos mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, a really rewarding experience um, to know that that uh, you can you can do that when everyone around you like there are a lot of people who, who are in denial that like that. Silo- I mean There are a lot of silos, and uh, when you can break one down, and you start to um, work together towards that common goal, um, that's that's huge. Uh, I agree. And so that's been that's been a a lot of the my accomplishments in in my short careers have been my ability uh, to break down those silos and to to find consensus and to uh, find cooperation um, and, uh, um, find the strengths within each organization and put those strengths to work in a collaborative manner. Uh, and it brings not only like, um, success and, um, value, um, and, um, happiness, I guess, to the people with, within my organization, but it it's, it's the same for that organization because they're now able to share in success. Um, so when you can share in success, that's uh, a huge, huge reward. Um,
0: I think so. So I have uh, about 125 volunteers on the Unfunded Lists Evaluation Committee. Yeah. Uh, and I don't ask any of them. and I show them grant proposals, but I don't ask them uh, to fund them. Uh, on occasion, I, uh, so some of the evaluators do have foundations and stuff, and so I'll say, you might want to, consider but that's not the main purpose that I've assigned more. So, you pointed
1: out again like that, that one meeting that we had that I was able to introduce you mm-hmm. to somebody that led to someone yeah. who was able to provide the treasure that you needed. Yeah, I yeah. can provide the time and the talent of connecting. Yeah, no, yeah um, absolutely.
0: Uh, and so that get, gets me to my final question. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, we will have some, uh, we'll have a whole new batch of proposals this fall. Uh, if I have some public health proposals or, or Jewish proposals would you be happy to read them? I'd love to. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks very much for talking to me and for inviting me uh, to, to Swig House in, uh, here in New Orleans. Uh, let's go get some cowboys or something, listen to some
1: jazz. Les bon temps <laughs> Let the good times roll in New Orleans.
0: Awesome. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Open Door Philanthropy featuring Ben Swig. If you're interested in learning more about the work of Ben's startup Ready Responders, check out readyresponders.com. And as always... If you're looking for or willing to provide helpful and candid feedback on unfunded grant proposals, please sign up at unfundedlist.com.